Um, I can tell you, I just, I just have to say, um, I love the summer. I love everything about the summer. And so I hope you guys are having a great summer. Um, but summer does have to come to an end eventually. I know, I know, I know, I know. I didn't decide, okay? You can talk to God about that. Um, but I do want to encourage you that when the f- summer does end, we have this thing around here called Rooted. And if you're new here, or if you haven't had a chance to get connected, or here, I'm going to be real honest with you. If you um, haven't taken Rooted since COVID, okay? You remember that line of delineation that separates our life pre and post COVID? Okay, if you haven't taken Rooted since COVID, I would encourage you this fall to get yourself signed up for for, uh, Rooted. It is a great way to get connected, to get plugged in. And what I probably know is um, you're either new since COVID and you maybe don't quite feel really well connected yet, or you were here pre-COVID and 80% of the people in the room are totally different. And you're like, I don't know anybody. And so you should take Rooted and you should get plugged in and uh, it's really great. And you can text Monmouth to 97,000 to learn more about it and all that kind of stuff. We also, next week, um, if you haven't gotten emails or all that kind of stuff, maybe you blocked us, maybe you rejected us, which by the way, I can see when you block our emails. Um, (laughs) Just so you feel a little extra guilty next time you do it. <laughs> is uh, next week we're going to have service, but we're not going to have this kind of service, okay? We're going to have our inaugural, we're calling it our Serve Our City Sunday. And what that means is that at 10 o'clock, we're going to ask you to join us here. We're going to have a little um, prayer, a little talk real quick, and then we're going to send people out to go serve around the community. And you can sign up ahead of time. That'd be super helpful for us. You can text mom to the 97,000, get yourself signed up. Um, we're gonna have one team that's gonna go to DHS in Dallas, and they're gonna do some work doing some cleaning and, and helping and serving um, the foster care system over there. And then we're gonna have some people that are gonna go to Ella Curran, uh, which is in Independence. It's our, it's our food bank. It's the busiest food bank in our county. Um, uh, I messaged them uh, probably two months ago and said, hey, you know, we're doing this thing. We'd love to come. Can we like clean something or paint something? And they said, oh, that would be amazing. The first week of August, we have to move. <laughs> I said, well, we'll be there. Now they have to move 10 feet. They're moving next door. But... They said last time it took 30-some Boy Scouts as their project to help them move. And so uh, we, um, you know, by God's plan, have lined up to be there just for them. And then we're also going to have a team that's going to go to Heron Point, um, the assisted living community here, and and just go um, spend some time with them, play some music, uh, just kind of um, bring some life and connection to that place. And, and, uh, and then also you could stay here and help us get ready for a meal because afterwards we're going to invite you to come back and have um, a lunch together with us and just kind of spend some time on Sunday hanging out and serving together as family. So we'd love for you to do that. Text Monmouth to 97,000 to get yourself pre-scheduled so that we can help kind of manage the crowds. Otherwise, just show up at 10 o'clock next week. Um, which, by the way, for some of you, means you're going to have to be here 10 minutes earlier than you're used to. Because by 10.10, we'll have left, okay? So if you're used to being here at 10.10, church actually starts at 10. If you, maybe you didn't know. Maybe I shouldn't assume. Maybe I shouldn't assume. Maybe you didn't know, okay? Uh, maybe you didn't know. Hey, we are this week finishing a series um, called Be Rich. And it's out of a passage. Let me read you the passage. It comes in 1 Timothy. It says this. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world 
okay? Which you may not believe it, but is you, okay? Um, we don't have time to argue about why you are, but if you have clean water and a place to sleep where you don't have to sleep with your whole family in the same bed, you are wealthy. Not to be conceited or to fix their hope on uncertainty of riches. This just this pastoral um, uh, little moment here. This isn't part of my sermon. Um, the, the conceited thing, that might not be a problem for a lot of us. Right? I don't know how many of us are walking around going, <laughs> I got clean drinking water. Boom, what about you? Right? Maybe conceited isn't. But look at the second thing he says. Fix their hope, their confidence, their trust on stuff, on their bank account, on a job, on the stock market, on their assets. But on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. That is a super awesome, beautiful passage, um, but you're gonna have to take Rooted to listen to us break that down and talk about that. So get signed up for Rooted. Text mom to 97,000. Verse 18, instruct them to do good. And then this is how you're going to do good. Instruct them to do good, right? Which is, um, we talked about a couple weeks ago, is, is an act, is acting like God. The other person attributed with this action of this doing good is God. So he's telling us to act in the same good that God acts. And he, he tells us two ways that we can do that. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first one. It says, to be rich in good works. That's why we get this title, to be rich in good works. And here's the second one we're gonna look at today. To be generous and ready to share. To be generous and ready to share. It's, it's actually um, interesting. It's like Paul's trying to make a point. Because the two words there, to be generous and ready to share, are almost identical words. I mean, even like in the English, right? Like if you look at it, you see, to be generous and ready to share. Isn't being ready to share being generous and isn't being generous being ready to share? It's like he's trying to reiterate a point. He only has to tell us to be rich in good works once. But he has to tell us, hey, hey, um, be generous. Oh, oh, and hey, hey, when you have opportunity, why don't you give people stuff? As if those are different things. Be generous and ready to share. To understand um, or, or to just kind of process this passage with you today, um, I, I want to talk about a story that's far from this passage in 1 Timothy. It's in the, in the book of Exodus. You probably know the story, at least um, maybe a little peripherally. Even if you, this is your first time at church, you probably know a little bit about the Exodus, Moses and the burning bush and the 10 plagues and, and, and God delivers them and Passover and the Red Sea and they come out into the promised land and all these these things. And one of the things that we'll talk about when we talk about the story, at least I've talked about, I think is a really beautiful observation in the story, is that the people God is rescuing are a people who for hundreds of years, who their identity and their value has been in what they produce. A lot of times we think of um, like the, the, the Israelite people were in Egypt, the Hebrew people were in Egypt. The problem is, is that's not a thing. They, they, they weren't a nation before they went into Egypt. They were a family. And they were a family that was really good at one of God's first commands to be fruitful and multiply. And so they did a lot of that in Egypt. And they got nervous and this big, huge family grew up. But you know what that family's identity was? They were slaves. 
They were brick makers. They, they were valued for not, not, just, just breathe and think about this with me for a second. Not for a generation or two, right? Like maybe, maybe um, you know, it's not that uncommon for you to end up in the same industry that your parents did, right? Like maybe your parents were in teaching and you spent a lot of time around teaching. Maybe your parents were in sales. Maybe your parents were plumber or, or in um, uh, being a general contractor. And it was just something you were around a lot. And so you kind of like get an affinity for it. You're kind of good at it. You have some connections and you just end up in that industry. It's not that uncommon. Maybe for a couple generations. Maybe you think back and, and you know, I've talked to some people and they're like, oh, you know, we're fourth generation educators, right? The, the Hebrew people, the descendants of Abraham, they were 400-year slaves. Hundreds. And think back, okay? It's not that hard to do the math. It's 2023, right? 2023, that's what it is. July 2023. 400 years ago, 1623. For 400 years, their value, their worth, their existence at a people had been what they could produce, right? Isn't this how Pharaoh tries to punish them? He takes away some of their supplies and he makes them produce more. That they're going to be a people. Their only value to him is what they produce. For the average Israelite, Jewish, Hebrew descendant of Abraham in, in Egypt at the time, they would have been born. It would not have taken long of growing up before they would have started to contribute in the household. And it wouldn't have taken long after that before they would have gone out to go work as a slave. And from sunup until sundown, they would work as a slave. Not, not a work week, <laughs> Like some of you might be like, oh, making bricks five days a week for 13, 14 hours a day, that'd be rough. Try seven days a week until your back breaks, maybe literally, until your body physically cannot endure the heat of the Egyptian sun any longer, until you die, likely at work, and they just throw you in a ditch and move on. These are people who their only value in the world was what they produced. And, and, and as Americans, we've had for, you know, probably the end of the 20th century, we've had this movement, we've had this conversation in culture, we've had this conversation about you are more than what you produce, right? And that's a great lesson to learn from this story is to see that, that God calls these people out who their only value to the world was what they produced. And he pulls them out before they produce anything. And he says, you are my people. You are my treasured possession, you are my chosen people. He, he says the same thing to Jesus. You remember when Jesus goes to get baptized? Jesus, you, how, many, how many miracles has Jesus performed when he gets baptized? Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. This is not go ducks. I mean, it is too. Go ducks. Zero. How many times did he die on the cross when he got baptized? Zero. How many times did he risen from the dead? Zero. Right? And when he's baptized, what does the father say to him? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. We say, man, li listen, listen. The message of the gospel is that your value is not in what you produce. 
Your value to God is not in your job, in your money, in your effort, in your talents. God is not impressed in what you produce. And we've had this kind of like constant conversation with ourselves. Remember, you are not what you make. You are not what you make financially. You are not what you make in your job. You are not what you produce. You are an image bearer of God. And so you inherently have value whether you ever produce a single brick in all of your life. We've had this conversation a lot. And, and while we've had this conversation, it's a good conversation. It's something we need to remind ourselves. And I hope you remember this morning that you are not what you produce. Whether it's in a job, in a family, as a spouse, as a parent, you are not what you produce. The, the ground uh, in our culture has shifted under us, and a lot of us haven't even noticed. Because you see, in our culture today, in our economy today, we're largely a, a post-industrial economy. In, in our world today, right, very few of us, maybe some of you, sit in a factory line as a cog in a production of creating a doohickey at the end of the line, right? Our value is not in what we produce, Interestingly, actually, if you look at it, um, people's value in the American economy, in the, the American world, in the American worldview, is not what you produce, it's what you consume. Right? You get measured by how much you consume. Well, what, what, what are the great indicators that they talk about for the health of our economy is consumer spending confidence, consumer confidence. The question they're asking all the time, if you watch enough news, they're asking, you know, are people buying homes? Are they buying cars? Are they buying new cars? Are they buying used cars? What's the price point, the average car that they're purchasing? How much credit card debt? How much did people spend on Black Friday? How much did the average household spend on streaming services? The way we measure the value of people in the world we live in today is not how much we produce, is how much we consume. But might not surprise you to know that Jesus, the gospel, offers another way. There's a story in Matthew 12, a story in Matthew 12, and let me, let me read it to you. Um, Jesus is out teaching. I mean, if you, if you know Matthew, Matthew 12, he's like, he's all in. Okay? By Matthew 12, he's done the Sermon on the Mount. He has adequately angered people. Not, not, not most of the people. In fact, most of the people love Jesus. Most people respond so incredibly to Jesus. I mean, that's why he ends up with the 5,000, being the 5,000, because crowds are flocking to him. But he's angered enough of the right people, right? There's some really powerful religious people he's angered. And, and we don't know real explicitly why. It's not real clear in the text. But for some reason, Jesus' mom, Mary, and his half-brothers, right? I don't know if you know that, but Jesus had half-brothers. Mary and Joseph, we presume, had more children after Jesus was born. They come looking for Jesus. And in the story in Matthew, it says that they want to talk to him. In the other Gospels, it says they want to take him home. Right? An honor, shame society. He's, he's bringing shame on their, on their family. We don't know if rabbis came to them and said, Mary, Mary, that son of yours. That son of yours. He, he's he's going to bring shame on your whole household. He, he's embarrassing you. So they go to get Jesus, to talk to Jesus. And, and it says this, verse 47 of Matthew 12. Someone said to him, Behold! 
Your mother and, and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother? Reminds me of that little kid's book. You remember that one? Are you my mother? Little bird goes to the backhoe or whatever it was. Are you my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. I love last week, Joe was here. If you weren't here last week, um, I, I, I love Joe. In fact, I mean, one of the great gifts of this church, if you don't know this, is there's so many talented communicators that are just gifted, humble, gracious communicators. And Joe was one of those last week. And, and I love the image that he used. He, he, he said this, if you remember, he was talking about the global Christian movement and, and what God's doing around the world. And he talked about that from the very beginning, right? From the very beginning, God's um, plan has been to go after every nation or um, in, in Greek, it's ethnos. He talked about it's more of ethnicity. It's not like um, sociopolitical boundaries of like America and Mexico and Colombia. It's, it's ethnic groups, right? And he encouraged you, if you weren't here last week, to be praying, to be praying for those ethnic groups. And I love one of the challenges, you may remember this. Um, he, he said, um, what if we prayed for those people until, someone's, until God sent someone out of us to go to those people? Right? I'm praying that with you. That'd be awesome. Right? Um, what was it? Kyrgyzstan or something last week he was talking about? 3,000 people in Kyrgyzstan? Turkestan? Sure. <laughs> Turkestan. I'll go with you. I'm sure there's 3,000 people in Kyrgyzstan, aren't there? Is Kyrgyzstan a nation or did I just make that up off the top of my head? <laughs> um, right? Wouldn't that be awesome for us to pray? And, and, but but the, the, the thing he said is, is, he said this, is he said that what God is doing is he's inviting you to be a part of the family business. I love that, that image. This, this, is, this is the business of God. This is what he is about, is reaching the nations, is reaching people. And if, 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 if God's mission could be a family business, right? I don't know if it would be um, their mission statement, but it'd definitely be a core value. It'd definitely be a, a, a required practice of what it means to be a part of the family business would be that everything they do is marked with generosity. With generosity. I mean, think, think what, what's the most famous um, verse in the Bible? John 3.16, right? You know it. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. He gave. He gave what was not required of him for those who could not give what was required of them. He gave. This has been his mission. He gives himself to the nations. Jesus gave himself. A passage in scripture says that he endured the cross. He gave himself up to the cross. He submitted to, uh, to shame, even to the point of death, for the joy set before him, for us. For the nations to come and to gather. This is the family business. And the third way that we can choose to live in this world is we can choose to be producers 
and measure our value and our worth based on what we can produce. We can value ourselves as consumers. Whoever gets the most toys, has the most stuff, has the biggest bank accounts, consumers. Or or we can see ourselves as Jesus' invitation to be sons and daughters, to be be part of the family. But, But did you hear what Jesus says? He says, if you're going to be part of the family, here's how you're part of the family. You do as well. This is how you get in the family business, is you do the family business. What is the family business? Matthew 28, right? Jesus, he says this to us. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's what Joe was talking about last week. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You know, there's this interesting thing about God is um, he doesn't need us for his business to be successful. You know, it's not like God's up in heaven and he's like, you know what I really don't have is I don't have enough sales reps. Maybe if I had some people in marketing, maybe if I had some people and they could get into marketing, they could really kind of polish up this book. Because you know, sometimes it gets a little uncomfortable. There's some things we don't want to really read, especially when it comes about money. We don't really want to read about that. Or about how we have to change. We don't really want to read about that. Maybe if I got some people. But God doesn't need us. The great invitation, Jesus is offering us an invitation, you and me, who are not biologically his brothers and sisters, to be a part of the family, to be a part of the family by being a part of his business about what he does. It's, 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 it's kind of like this, right? Um, you ever take a, a kid fishing, like a little kid? I don't know what your perspective of kid is, but I mean like under third grade, Okay. Sorry, my kids in third grade are about this tall, okay? You ever take a third grader fishing? When you go fishing, you know, you bring the fishing pole. You get the worms. You put, you put the worm. They, maybe they want to play with the worms, but you don't want them trying to put a worm on a hook, right? Because you're like, I'd rather fish and not go to the hospital and have a hook removed. Um, if your childhood's like mine, when you hook yourself, your dad just goes, oh, come here, I'll take it out. <laughs> came out. Um, You bait the worm. I mean, you bait the hook. You cast, right? Again, not because you don't want them to hook themselves, because you don't want to get hooked. (laughs) You cast it out there, and and, you know, you maybe let them hold on to the the rod, hold on to the rod and reel, but you kind of got your hand out about a third of the way up the rod, right? You see the bobber begin to dip or the line begins to move. You see a little bite on it. And what do you do? You tell them, set the hook, set the hook, set the hook, right? But what do you actually do? You go, and you set the hook for them, right? And then they sit there and they hold this rod and they crank like they're bringing in a 300-pound marlin in the open sea, right? And all the time you're going, right? You don't need them. You're not like, you know, what I really need to be able to catch a fish, what I really, if I really am going to catch a fish, I need a seven-year-old with an attention span of a fly. (laughs) No. You invite your child to come and be a part of what you're doing. 
You don't need them for any of it. But you invite them so, so that, so that when, when that fish comes out of the water and you lift that fish, it's not you sitting alone on a, on a beach going, <laughs> look, I, look at the fish I got. Little seven ounce perch. Isn't that awesome? But you can invite your child and they hold that sucker like it's a trophy fish. And they smile from ear to ear with pictures. You invite them to be a part of the joy of fishing. God's inviting you to be a part of his business. To be a part of of what he wants to do in the world. To, 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 To be the one that gets to pull it in. That gets to sacrifice. That gets to struggle. That gets to be a part of the hard work. But gets to be a part of the joy. And the rejoicing as God redeems and restores. And I think if I was to ask you, you know, do you, you want to be generous? Right? Like 1 Timothy 6, it commands us to be generous. Would you want to be generous? I think, you know what, every single one of us is going to say, yeah. Wouldn't it be a better world if we were all generous? I w- I'd love to be generous. I'd love to be extravagantly generous. We have this statement out on our wall that says we're going to lead the way in extravagant generosity. Isn't that beautiful? We'd all want that. And, and you know what? I'd, I'd believe you. I believe you. You know why? Because um, collectively as a church, this is an incredibly generous church. Collectively, we are over and over again in ways that can't be measured, in ways that never get told about publicly. But I mean, this year alone, already this year, we're in July, we've given away over $30,000 in cash to partners all around the world to see the the mission of God continue to grow. Just a month and a half ago, we took a trailer over to DHS loaded full of diapers and wipes that my best guess accounts for somewhere between eight to $10,000 in diapers and wipes. You know how hard I had to pitch and sell that idea? I just parked the trailer out there. And said, hey, let's fill that trailer. And people bought diapers and they bought wipes. And every year they've done it over and over and over again. Next week we're doing our Serve Our City thing. This this is not new to us. We haven't created this idea. Um, In fact, if you Google Serve Our City, um, you can probably find a lot of churches that do the same type of thing. And as I'm reading and listening and talking to people who've done this kind of thing, asking them, like, how do you plan? What do you expect? All that kind of stuff. Here's one of the things that they said over and over again. Is they said, when it's your first time, expect some emails, and not, not warm, fuzzy emails. <laughs> Except, expect some emails that say stuff like, oh, I think it's great that we serve our community and we serve our city and all these things, it's all, but um, why can't we do it on Sunday afternoon? Why, why can't we do it on Saturday? It's the summer. <laughs> why can't we do it on a Tuesday? Why do we have to give up? Sunday morning to do that. And they said, just expect it. It's, uh, you know, you know how many of those emails I've gotten? Now, maybe you say that to your friends. Because <laughs> we, we're, we're part of a church that part of who we are is we love to be generous. In, in a couple weeks, we're going to be doing back to school bash. August 20th, we're going to do back to school bash. Right? I, I hate to disappoint you. Fall's going to come. School's going to come back again. It happens every year. But we're going to do back to school bash. And you know what this year? This year, um, we're leading the way in a partnership with a group of churches that are expecting to provide uh, around 1,000 backpacks and school supplies to kids in our community and in Fall City. You know why? Because for over a decade, we have continued to sacrificially give 
want to be generous? Yeah. Because it's, we, we get to hold on to the rod and reel and get to be a part of what God's doing. That's awesome. So my question to you today is, is just, it's really, it's really pretty simple. It's just for you to wrestle with. Is if you have the capacity to be generous and you're not, Let me say it more poignantly. If you have the capacity to be generous with your finances and you're not, sometimes people will say to me, they'll say, well, you know, I, I give of my time and I give of my energy and I give of my, my, my talent. And, 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 and so, you know, I, 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 I don't ha- I'm off the hook over here. What does, that, what does that say about your time that is finite as opposed to your finances? If you have the capacity to be generous, God's inviting you to a kind of beautiful life that is so much more rewarding and life-giving to be able to be on the beach, a part of the family business, pulling in that little bluegill that God invites us to be a part of. If you don't have the capacity, here's the deal. Here's the deal. We want for you, not from you. And sometimes there are situations in life and you don't have the capacity. There have been things that have happened to you. There are things that you've chosen to do and you find yourself in a place where you literally don't have the capacity to be generous. Here's what I want you to know. We offer this thing. Maybe you've heard of it before. It's called Financial Beast University. Right? One fan. Um, That's not a good statistical uh, representation. This thing called Financial Peace University, and to do Financial Peace University, normally, normally it costs like $119. Well, we made a decision almost a decade ago that it seemed really stupid to charge people who, who are struggling with their finances to charge them money so that they could not struggle with their finances. That seemed like a stupid thing. And in fact, I, uh, we came up with this idea that we were just going to, we, we were going to eat the cost, right? We were going to pay for it. We were, we were going to pay for every single person to take FPU over the last uh, nine years or something like that. Like 120 people have taken FPU. And, and we've eaten the cost $119 every single time. And I thought this was a brilliant idea. So I called, I called Dave Ramsey Corporation, which is uh, who does Financial Peace University. And I said, hey, this is what we're doing, right? We're, we're going we're gonna to give it to people for free. And the lady's like, oh, oh, oh. And I said, you know, it doesn't make sense. They don't have money. That's why they're taking the class, right? You can't pay their less Schwab bill. That's why they're taking the class, right? She goes, oh, that's a great idea. I said, yeah, I think it is. I think it is. I think it is. She goes, she goes I, don't, I don't think I've, I've ever heard of any church doing that. And I said, I bet you haven't because we're pretty awesome. <laughs> and I said, uh, hey, so it's such a great idea. Um, you want to split the cost with us? And she goes, no. But I'm glad you're doing it. We'll probably be offering again this fall. Love for you to take it. Here's the deal. When it comes to finances, when it comes to money, when it comes to generosity, it, it shouldn't, be, shouldn't be a burden. It shouldn't be a responsible, begrudging submission. Oh, I got it. God demands. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. 
to remind yourselves to rest in the truth that you're a son or daughter. You're not what you produce. You're not what you consume. You are a beloved child who gets to join God in the family business of bringing restoration and reconciliation. So what does that look like for you today?